Hello, and welcome to Birth of Family Church Podcast. We trust that you'll find an encouraging word to strengthen your walk with the Lord. And if you're visiting the area, or if you're looking for a good church home, come check us out at birthedfamilychurch.org. There you can find our location and service times. Thanks again for tuning in. God bless. Hallelujah. So go ahead and get your Bibles out. Maybe even try something different this morning. Why don't you grab a piece of notebook paper and believe God that he's going to tell you something directly that's pertinent to you and yours. And uh, just uh, by faith, just get out a piece of paper and a pen and just believe that the Lord is going to speak to you. And it's interesting, on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says that as they were speaking in a heavenly language and those of the world were listening, it says that each of them heard the message in their own language. That means that the Holy Spirit became the interpreter and he was helping each individual to hear the message they needed to hear. That tells me that I can speak as I'm following the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit taking that which is said because it's actually emanating from him to you, that he can take what is being said and tailor it to your hearing exactly what you need to hear. Wow, that, that, that is so uh, awesome. And, and we need to believe for that. Because if you would interview, say, 100 people that are in a service, and then you would ask each one of them what they got from the service, more than likely most of them will have something different to say. Well, I got this. Well, I got this. I got that. And that's because the Holy Spirit is getting uh, answers to us. He's, he's giving us direction. He's bringing explanation. He's broadening our understanding of this spiritual realm in which we live. And so if we'll expect that before we sit down, before we start listening, then our faith is going to be engaged. And that's going to give the Holy Spirit the substance to get you to hear what you need to hear. So let's believe for revelation today. Father, we thank you that this is exciting, that we can come under the sound of your voice and in the midst of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, Lord, we know that you do everything to help us. You do everything to bless us. You do everything to fulfill your will in our life. But we have a part to play. We, we have to be attentive. We have to be listening. We have to be expectant to hear. And then even after we hear, then we have to begin implementing that which we hear because only the doer is blessed. Not simply hearers, not just simply note takers, not just simply church goers. No, no, no. It's the doer of the word that allows your blessing to manifest in your life. So we're looking for things to apply. We're looking for things maybe to put down and some things to pick up. And we thank you in this living relationship that we have with you that we're going to grow exceedingly in faith. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hallelujah. This is prayer school. And as you probably know, this uh, Friday morning, whatever time we start, 
is allocated to the subject of teaching on prayer. Prayer is so vital, it's kind of like an umbilical cord that a baby has to the mother. That's, that's our supply that, that we're receiving from the Lord through prayer. And so the, the better prepared we are to pray according to the way that he requires us to pray, the more effectual that our prayer life will be. And we'll begin seeing responses every time we pray. And so there's different types of prayer. And we've been uh, working on teaching on all the different types of prayer. There's at least nine different types of prayer. And this morning we're talking about what the Bible calls intercessory prayer. And that's one of those nine types of prayer. And it's prayed differently than, say, the prayer of faith or the prayer of consecration. Each prayer has its own guidelines, or could we even say rules for that prayer to be effective. And so we're teaching on this prayer of intercession. And could we just suffice it that when a definition of intercessory prayer is praying for others? I think uh, all of us have this temptation that most of our prayer life is about us personally and those that we're closest to in our life. And yes, we're to pray along those lines, but it's not to consume 100% of our prayer time. We do have to spend time in worship to Him, the, the prayer of worship. And we also need to pray for others. And I made a comment last time we were together that when you go through the Bible and you're mindful of this prayer that's praying for others, you begin seeing that type of prayer laced all the way through the Bible, all 66 books. It's like this thread. You know, you can have one thread that can encompass the whole, the whole sheet after it's made. And so is this prayer for praying for others. And so we found out over here in 1 Timothy chapter 2, we have this prayer where we pray for leaders. And I wanted to continue on this and dig a little bit deeper uh, in this type of prayer. And I, I, I told all of you last week that we were going to be looking into this area and begin talking about this uh, double kingdom principle. And as I got to thinking about it, I don't think a lot of Christians, and I'm not talking just exclusively to our camp because our camp does teach in this area, but out in, in, in Christendom with the denominational churches and the, and the grace churches and, and all these churches that are throughout the world, very few of them really begin to make the believer aware of a, another realm in which we interact with every day. It's like when I was growing up, before I knew Christ. I had heard about the devil. You know, you hear about houses being haunted and you, you hear about things happening in a unseen realm, but I, I never really attribute it to another kingdom or another realm that exists in parallel with this seen realm. I mean, the only thing that I heard about the devil growing up was from a comedian called Flip Wilson, and he was hilarious. 
And he had this one skit where he would pretend to be a, a lady, and uh, her name was Jezebel. And one of Jezebel's uh, <laughs> most famous lines in his comedy skit was that when Jezebel would do something wrong or something inappropriate, she would put her hands on her hip and she, she would say, the devil made me do it. Well, that's about my extent <laughs> of the, the devil. I, I really didn't think there was a real devil. And because I, I couldn't see any evidence in this physical realm of a devil. And so it wasn't until I got into uh, becoming a student of the Word of God that, that I found that throughout Scripture, the Bible talks about an unseen realm in our midst. Uh, truth be told, the, the, the spiritual realm, that's that unseen realm in which we live in every day or amongst every day, in that unseen realm of the spirit, it's of a higher order than this natural physical world. And that's because the seen world was created from the spiritual world. And that's why Jesus would use a lot of attributes and examples from the physical world because they're similar in the spiritual realm so that you can explain spiritual truth with physical examples. And so, once I became mindful that there's a whole nother realm around us, then I knew that I had to become efficient in operating in a realm that I can't see. Now, I want us to go somewhere in scripture this morning. I hadn't really, I don't have this in my notes, but you're okay, right? Let's, let's, uh, let's go ahead and do what the Lord, I believe, is directing us. Go over to the epistle or the letter of uh, Colossians and this is a very powerful book along with uh, Ephesians they're, they're, they, they parallel each other in, in many different ways and I, I want you to see something about you and I when we were born again now what, I, what I'm endeavoring to do right now is to make us more aware that in this world we live yes there is a seen physical realm in fact, that's what our five senses were created to do, to make us aware of what is taking place in this physical realm around us. But I want us also to understand at the, the exact same time that, that we're living in a physical world, there's also a spiritual world that's operating in parallel or at the same time in this physical realm. And there are times when the spiritual realm will influence the, the physical realm and vice versa. And so look over here in Colossians and, and go on over uh, to Colossians 1, go down to verse 12, and I want you to see exactly what took place when you and I received Jesus as our Savior, and as he says in John uh, chapter 3, when we were born again. And you understand that that's a spiritual birth. Remember, Jesus said that which is born of flesh is flesh. So we've been born physically. But then he says there's also a spiritual birth. And that's what he's explaining in terms of being born again. So what exactly happens when that takes place? So here we are, Colossians chapter 1. We're down here in verse 12. And it tells us to give thanks unto the Father. 
Anytime scripture talks about the Father, he's talking about the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when we become a Christian, then God the Father is now our spiritual Father. Amen. And he says that we're to give thanks unto the Father, which has made us meet. I'm reading from the King James. This word meet, M-E-E-T, simply means qualified. He qualified us to partake of the inheritance, that which God willed to us through his Son, the inheritance of the saints, and so that's the believers, in light. Now notice he's mentioning that we are saints in light. Well, that's making us aware of a, it's making us aware of a spiritual kingdom. For some of you, obviously, I'm just bringing these things to your remembrance, but there may be some that this is the first time that you've heard this being explained to you. Understand that right now, on the earth right now, there are two unseen kingdoms in the spiritual realm, in the unseen realm. And we have the kingdom of light that God established through the ministry of his son, Jesus Christ, and then we have the kingdom of darkness. And this is the realm that Satan, that fallen angel, you know him as the devil, you know him as Lucifer, uh, you know him as the one who tempts us. Uh, there's very many attributes about the devil uh, addressing not only what we call him, but what his MO is, how he operates on the earth. And so these two kingdoms that are in this spiritual realm are arrayed against each other. Light is always fighting darkness. Darkness is always fighting light. And so it says here in verse 12 that we are saints in this kingdom of light. Now, how did that happen? Look here in verse 13. Who has delivered us? Now, to deliver someone is to remove them and, and, and to take them out of one uh, relationship and, and birth them into another in, in terms of salvation. So when you receive Christ as your Savior, you were already part of the kingdom of darkness. You were of this fallen realm. That's why we had sin. That's why we had a sin nature. Now, that doesn't mean that you, you were a devil worshiper. It doesn't mean that you were sacrificing things unto the devil. But unknowingly, unknowingly, you were a part of his kingdom because you have yet to invite Jesus into your life. And so you were separated from God. That kingdom was established, this kingdom of darkness was established on the earth when Adam and Eve succumbed to the temptation of the devil in the Garden of Eden and through their transgression. In essence, what they did is they accepted the devil as their, lack of a, a better term, their God, their, their, their Lord. They, when they sinned to him, they were really bowing their knee to him. And so that gave Satan access to the earth. That's when the earth changed. You see, God had made the earth and the fullness thereof, and everything that he made was good. God can't do anything that's not good because that's who he is. He isn't capable 
of doing anything bad or anything evil because he has none to give. And so understand that the earth, which was completely good, there was, there was no death. There was a living relationship with God, with, with Adam and Eve. There was no sickness. There was no theft. There was no anyone murdering one another. Every, it, was, it was, could we dare say, we will say because it's true, it was heaven on earth. But as soon as Satan allowed this kingdom of darkness to come in and to begin implementing the laws of sin and death, that's when this earth had this additional kingdom come in amongst the kingdom of light and began to start stealing what God had given man and eroding away. That's when the first person was murdered. When, uh, was it Cain Murray, uh, murdered Abel? Did I get those two names switched around? That's when murder was introduced. That's, that's what, when you began having uh, man against man, that's when you started having people breaking God's laws and, and the, the world becoming lawless or godless. And so you and I were a part of that kingdom before we invited Christ into our heart. And so it says here in verse 13 that he has delivered us from what? The power or authority of darkness. So he's saying through the new birth, you were delivered out of this unseen spiritual kingdom that was here on the earth. You were delivered out from it. That means that you came out from under his authority and it's a direct effect on your life. Oh, glory to God. And at the same time, you were then translated into the kingdom of his dear son. This is the kingdom of light. And so right here in this 13th verse, we're seeing a clear depiction that present tense right now, there are two spiritual unseen kingdoms in this earth today that are endeavoring to influence us, direct us, even to the degree of controlling us. And so when we chose Christ, that's when what Jesus did for us, we received that, that resurrection power of being delivered from the devil's fallen kingdom. We, we no longer became the children of darkness, the children of the devil, but we became the children of God. Remember how Jesus would... Uh, express uh, that to the religious leaders of their day, he, he came right out and blatantly said, you are of the, the, your father, the devil. And that's why you murder. And that's why you do this and you do that. Because you're a part of the influence. You're a citizen of that fallen kingdom. Wow. And so when I first started cutting my teeth on the word of God it was like the veil that was over my eyes the blindness that was over my mind started to, to allow me to see that this earth is not just physical life on this earth is not just physical there is a a spiritual realm of which there are two kingdoms and when we chose Christ 
we were then born into God's kingdom on the earth. Oh, hallelujah. So it's important for us to realize that. Once you begin to see that the Bible allows us to see that which is unseen, it, it begins to reveal those things that you can't touch, you can't smell, you can't hear, you can't see. And it begins to show us how to operate in that realm. Do you remember the, the testimony? And it seems like I, I've needed to lay a foundation for, for what I'm about to teach on. Do you remember the testimony of Elijah? And uh, he was held up in, a, in a, a small community. I think it was, it was called Dotham. And him and his servant were hanging out, you know, in this, this city. And the evil king uh, was coming to, to apprehend Elijah, uh, I think, to the means of, of killing him. Because the, the prophet Elijah was telling the, the, the armies of Israel where the enemy was and how to attack them to, to win the battle over them. And so this evil king from another nation that was coming to, to kill Elijah, he thought he had a traitor on his hands. And, and his advisor said, oh no, he doesn't have, we don't have a traitor. It's because of that prophet that's in Israel. He, he keeps telling them all of our secrets. And so that's when they decided to apprehend Elijah. So one morning, uh, Elijah's uh, ser servant got up. And uh, I don't know if he was going to the well to get water to, to make breakfast or what he was doing, but he, but he gets out of uh, the, their living quarters and he sees around the city, so it must have been in a higher vantage point, and he saw that there were armies of this evil king that surrounded the city. They had pretty much barricade the city that nobody could come in or go out. And there was hundreds of thousands of, tens of thousands of this army. And so the servant runs into a, Elijah screaming, ah, what, what shall we do? What shall we do? And uh, Elijah knew what was going on because the Lord had shared with him. He was a prophet and the Lord would give him information as the Lord willed. And so he took, he took uh, his servant out to where he had seen this army and he, he, he told his servant, he says, look, there are more with us than there are with them. <laughs> the servant's going, well, 10,000, 20,000, 50,000, 100,000, and then he goes, one, two. He's thinking, well, there's tens of thousands of them, and there's only two of us. And Elijah says, Lord, open his eyes. Now, understand, he was already seeing with his physical eyes. So Elijah was saying, Open his spiritual eyes. Allow him to see in the realm of the spirit. And so when the servant's eyes were open, he saw chariots of fire of angels and angelic beings just completely encircling Elijah in himself 
in terms of protecting them from that natural army. So Elijah had a spiritual army there to protect him in an unseen realm. Now, now see, the, this servant had no idea what they were surrounded by in terms of the Lord's help. But you see, once his eyes were open, he saw what was already there. Did you hear that? He saw what was already there all the time, that he never had to be fearful of the tens of thousands of natural soldiers coming if he had seen how many that the Lord had sent to keep them. And so you'll see little snippets of this all through Scripture, giving us an indication of how real and how important this unseen realm is. And when we begin to learn how to operate in biblical principles, that we can begin exercising authority and also using our faith to create things from this unseen realm into that physical realm. We've already done it through the new birth. When you found out the principle of receiving Jesus as your Savior and you applied it, then you, were, you then began to operate in spiritual, or could we say heavenly laws. And you were the ones that initiated what God had for you, and you experienced a spiritual birth that not only brought you into God's family, but also delivered you from the power of darkness. And so this is why Scripture encourages us to pray for others because that we then begin to exercise authority in this unseen realm. And that's what he's in, he's wants us to do here in 1 Timothy. So go back there to 1 Timothy chapter 2. And this is the prayer for praying for those that are in authority over us. How many of you know in this life we have all sorts of people that have authority over us? Now it may be, it may not be what we would consider a direct authority, but if we don't fall in line, then we'll see a direct encounter with that authority. For example, every time I drive down the street, there's an authority is endeavoring to govern me to do 35 miles an hour in my car in a 35 mile <laughs> uh, speed uh, zone. It's saying 35 miles an hour. Well, that's an authority over me. And I don't really recognize it unless I get caught going many times 10 miles an hour and more over that speed limit. Then that authority is made uh, known to me in, in real life with an officer coming up and writing on his pad how much I owe. So here in 1 Timothy chapter 2, now I'll, I'll read this. Uh, all four verses and then we'll kind of pick away at it a little bit he says I exhort and this word exhort just means encourage I'm encouraging you that you would first of all so he denotes the, the level in, of importance it is for you and I to pray for those that have authority over us and 
No one wants to pray for those that have authority over us. I mean, that's just human nature. Many times when we're dealing with those that have authority over us is when we do something wrong. And now we've allowed them to come on the scene through whatever we did wrong that they're now correcting us. So nobody likes that. But he's told us to make it a priority that when you <clears throat> come to a time of prayer, that do this first of all. Isn't that an interesting thought? I'm, I'm reading this to mean that when I come and you know, I want to pray for my wife, I want to pray for my children, I want to pray for uh, my, my children's spouses, I want to pray uh, for their children, my grandchildren, uh, that, that before I do that, I should pray for leaders. How could that be? Well, understand that you and I are to walk in love. And love is considering others before we consider ourselves. And so that's one reason why. Because you're practicing uh, putting someone above you in your, your needs. Remember, you're still going to be praying for your family, but it says, first of all, before you do that, pray for those that have authority over you. Now, I'd like to be able to tell you right now that I do this all the time. No, I, I haven't been, and this is an adjustment I need to make. Because he's telling me, first of all. <laughs> Isn't it? Aren't you glad you tuned in today? <laughs> Praise the Lord. But there's another reason that he wants us to make this a priority. Any person of authority has an influence on all those under that authority. And so when you're praying uh, for those that have authority over you, you then are impacting a, a larger amount of individuals than you would be impacting by praying for your wife and your children and your family. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying it's wrong to pray for your family. I'm just telling you, look through this through God's lens. Yes, he wants you to pray for your family, and you'll impact a handful of people. But when you pray for the president of the United States, you're now impacting hundreds of millions of people who are under his authority. Hundreds of millions of people is more than you know, the 10 or 20 people that I'm praying for in my family. Does, does that make sense? And so when we begin to understand that, actually, our president uh, has an influence over more than just the population of the United States because we are the, the, the most powerful nation in the world. So our president has an influence over the nations and their populations. So it, it's it's... Can you see now why the Lord, first of all, wants us to pray for our leaders, but then he's saying to make it a priority to do so. So here we go. First of all, make supplications. These are different kinds of prayers. Supplications, prayers, intercessions. That's what we're talking about now, praying for others. And the giving of thanks. That, that's kind of a, a new thought, isn't it? To thank the Lord for those that have authority over us. 
doesn't make any sense. I'm supposed to be thankful for people in authority over me? Well, just understand this principle. It tells us over in Romans chapter 13 that all authority that's on the earth has been afforded to us through God. And he placed authority in the earth in order to maintain the peace and to maintain godliness in the world. It's a check and balance system that he put in. So that means that everybody who's in a place of authority, that authority has been ultimately given to them by God. Now, you understand that they can be abusing that authority. But when you're giving thanks for those in authority, you're not necessarily giving, giving thanks for that individual who's now in that place of authority that God gave them, but you're giving thanks to that office of authority that God gave. And because it's a God-given authority, you can place a demand that that office that they, that they are seated in would be used for righteousness and would be used to extend the, the will and the plans and purposes of God upon the earth. Hallelujah. It, it's, just a, it's just another way of looking at it. It is so easy for us that when we look at people uh, in authority, we look at their humanity and their personalities. Many of the most beloved presidents or politicians that we've had in however long we've been a nation have come to those that have had likable personalities, not as much as the policies that they put into motion. Well, we've, we've got to be careful that we're only identifying with these leaders' personalities and, and maybe their appearance or maybe their gender or, or, or maybe the color of their skin or the level of their education or how much money they have. You see, those are all natural things that we're gravitating towards. It has nothing to do with this person now seated in a position that God had given them. And they're in that position of authority to maintain peace and to allow the, the principles of God and his godliness and morality to reign on the earth amongst the people. Amen. So he says that we're to give thanks, to be made for all men. And then he begins to clarify who all these men are. In verse 2, it talks about kings. And so that's a political leader. We wouldn't say king uh, anymore here in the United States, we would, we would say uh, a president, we would say a governor, we, we would say a mayor, we would say a county commissioner, we, we would say a judge, we, we would say a legislator, right? So this was written in the time where kings were the highest in authority in the land. And then he goes on to say, for kings and for all that are in authority. And so that can, that can lend itself on down the line. All the way from <laughs> the president of the United States and, you know, a dog catcher in, in your local town. 
you see from from a place of governing millions to a place where you're just looking for somebody's dog that you can put it in the kennel i mean do you understand what i'm saying it's still a place of authority all right now he says why should we do that and i want us to see two direct benefits to you and i personally and our household two direct benefits that become our personal possession when we do what he tells us to do in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. Hallelujah. That means that we can begin having faith for those benefits as we're praying for our leaders. Now check this out. He says, I want you to pray for all those that are in authority, verse 2, that we those who are praying we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty so godliness is godlike that which is the will of god honesty is in a righteous morality hallelujah Every one of us wants to live a quiet life. A quiet life is a life that, that there's a, a minimum of turbulence in our life. There's, there's a minimum of things that are bringing a, an anxiousness or, or, or maybe a fear to our life. I mean, there, there was nothing worse here in the last several months when, when Russia went to war with Ukraine. I mean, the thought way in the back of our head is, are we going into another war? And, and, and everything that attaches itself to that three-letter word. War is the, 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 the biggest influence on a world to bring upheaval and separation and to begin hindering all that God has willed for the world. And that's why the devil uses that card whenever he can get men to follow him into war. So when you're praying for those, those natural people in authority, including the politicians, the, the legislators, the judicial system, you know, our governors, our mayors, our county commissioners, you're allowing a heavenly influence to come upon them. You're giving God direct access to them to begin giving them godly counsel, endeavoring to, to get them to yield to that and to implement what God wants from their position. And when they start making godly decisions, when they begin following, maybe even some times unconsciously following God and what he wills and what he desires then that means that that these decisions will bring peace a certain amount of security in this land in which we live in this state in which we live in this county in which we live in this town in which we live hallelujah and that's why, that's the first reason I want you to go ahead and pray for these spiritual leaders. That way I'll be able to influence them. I'll be able to get them to start uh, 
implementing, you know, my laws and my ways and my will. Hallelujah. And then in verse 3, he says, here's the next benefit. For this is good and acceptable, that praying for your leaders, in the sight of God, our Savior. Now, here's the second direct benefit of praying for our leaders. He says that God's will is to have who? All men, all human beings on this ball of dirt. I don't care who they are, where they come from, what they look like, what they have done. It's the will of God for every human being to be saved, to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. How could that possibly be? Because God gave us Jesus who died for all of humanity. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Jesus didn't die just for you and me. He died for the world. And so he paid the price for every individual to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, to be born again and on their way to heaven. And so when you and I begin praying for our, our political leaders, those who have authority over us, not only are we creating an environment of godliness and morality, but the gospel has free course and can be preached. Hallelujah. And people will be saved. Hallelujah. And that is awesome. We really don't know how many of our political leaders got saved in their term of uh, political service to their country. But I have a suspicion that it's a lot higher than we would even imagine. I'm not saying that, that they'll be born again and then they'll publicly uh, confess what has happened and, and, and that's not normally going to be the case. But, but I, I, I'm mindful of one politician uh, that has been on the scene for not an ex, uh, extended length of time, but long enough for, for us to get to know that individual. And I personally, and this is just my opinion, I believe this individual has come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that didn't instantly make this individual perfect. But you could begin to see that, that this person was certainly implementing things that you could see God directing them to do so. And, and you began to see uh, immediate results in some of the decisions that they were making. And it, it, just had, it just made me think that God's involved. That God was involved. And then I saw a lot of other things that I don't want to go in detail with that it, it, it caused me to be convinced that either he had become a born-again uh, believer or he had become an ally of God and was doing those things that pleased God and brought godly results. And I think that through our history, there has to be many of these such people. George Washington, maybe. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, absolutely. 
um, I dare I say, John F. Kennedy. I don't think a lot of people realize some of the, the uh, policies that he put into place, and many don't realize what he was doing just at the time he was assassinated that would have helped this nation tremendously, but he never got to implement. I'm telling you, this the United States of America is one nation under God. Now, that doesn't happen automatically. I wish it did. If it did, we could just kick back and say glory. But that's not the case. God needs his church, you and I, cooperating with him, doing what he tells us to do, for instance, in these four verses in 1 Timothy 2. And giving him place amongst our politicians, amongst our legislators, amongst our judicial and court system, amongst our governors, amongst our mayors and, and our county commissioners, and bringing that heavenly, Holy Ghost, godly, moral point of view to engulf them to the degree that they begin implementing those things in the land. And that's what brings peace, and that's what brings on a move of God. Sometimes these things have to start at the top and come down. But it's us down here under the authority that's praying for the authorities over us. And we use the kingdom's authority that we now live in. We, we now live in the kingdom of, of light. And we have been given heavenly authority that we can release here on the earth and begin bending and shaping things in the way that God wants them bent and shaped. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, don't be discouraged about the current state of the United States. Don't, but in the same thing don't give up where you're no longer praying for it believing for it because god has a destiny on this nation and if we the church will rise up and simply do what god tells us to do use our faith use our prayers use that heavenly authority to say no to darkness and yes to god's kingdom of light and that's really what it comes down to doing. Remember, there's two kingdoms, two spiritual kingdoms right now, present tense, on this earth, on this earth trying to have their way. Well, when we rise up and push back darkness, that means that the light will come and take that space of void that was now created by you using your authority to push darkness back. Amen? We will win. I said we will win because we've already won. We're just enforcing the victory Jesus got for us 2,000 years ago. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning that you have given us a powerful tool of prayer in praying for others. And here in Timothy, if we will use the faith that you've given us, if we would use the heavenly authority that you've given us and we would begin pushing back the darkness away from our politicians, away from this political realm and allowing light to come, 
to influence, to direct. I thank you, Father, that we will see change for the good. We'll start seeing peace amongst the social ranks of this nation. We'll start seeing the gospel being freely preached and expressed. And we'll see laws beginning to change that exalt godlessness back to godliness. Lord, I thank you for it. In you, you always cause us to triumph. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you so much uh, for coming out this morning. Uh, thanks for hanging in there with us. We appreciate you. I want you to know that, that you guys are blessed. See, you're the children of God. And you have a blessing on you right now. We saw that in Colossians. It says that you have received a heavenly inheritance. Woo! You're the king's kids. So you're blessed. Use those blessings to reach out and help those around you. Amen? There's, there's nothing greater than taking what Jesus has given you and then bestow it onto someone else in acts of kindness and love and grace towards others. Hey, you're blessed in Jesus' name. Bye-bye.